When I think about the issue of human trafficking, um, something that continues to just plague my mind is the idea that no little boy wakes up and thinks, man, when I'm older, I can't wait to exploit women. And no little girl dreams of having her body raped and abused over and over again, where she's reduced to and treated like a piece of trash. The reality is human trafficking exists because of broken love. And I think a lot of times when we have this topic come and presented to us, um, I think honestly we all get it. It's a problem, it's massive, it's big, but there's this tension and question that we kind of wrestle with, with what's the next step and actually how do, we, how do we make a difference? And while human trafficking is a very massive issue, I think the answer to how we make a difference um, and make a change uh, with this is, is pretty simple, and that's we do what we can with what we have and where we're at. This summer, I had the opportunity to start up a nonprofit called The Restored Love Project, and we use photography and filmmaking to just capture the restorative stories of hope that's coming out um, of just such a dark, dark industry. And a little video clip that they showed was from a short film we just released a couple weeks ago called Generate Hope. Um, and me and a few of my assistants went out to Southern California this past summer. Um, Randa Fuchs was one of them. And um, we just met with a group of safe house of girls who had been rescued from sex trafficking and prostitution um, just in that area. And if you guys don't know, California produces 95% of the world's pornography. And it's just really massive there. But it was so encouraging and powerful to see so much hope that was coming out of just such a dark area. Um, and just through this journey that I've had with Restored Love, uh, I think God's really shown me that you don't really need a lot of money or a million followers on Instagram or even a college degree to make a difference in the world. I think you just have, you just have to be faithful with the gifts and abilities that God, that he's given you. Um, and so today, our speaker is a former student from Indiana Wesleyan. Her name is Jessica Thorne, and she started an organization called Purchased, and they're located in the Indianapolis region. And they fight human trafficking through just education and other programs. And so it's our hope that what you see and what you hear today will just inspire you guys to really just search your hearts for the passions that God's imprinted um, and gifts that he's given you to see how you can make a difference. Because again, we don't change the world through money. We don't change it through social status or degrees that we have. We change it by the faith that we live out. Good morning. Wow, it is so exciting for me to be here um, on a couple different levels. One, because I just really enjoy sharing about um, what we're doing, what Purchased is doing. Um, but also for me, it's really neat because I was sitting where you were in 2003. I was a senior, um, and I had no idea what journey God was going to be taking me on. Um, I uh, was an elementary education major. Um, I'm from Marion, Indiana. So I um, grew up here, went to school at Indiana Wesleyan, studied elementary education, mostly because I came from a family of educators. Um, I enjoyed my time here at Indiana Wesleyan. I was in the corral, and, but I was, um, I expected myself to just go into teaching and be a lifelong teacher like everyone else in my family. And the Lord just had so many other plans for me. And as I think about um, as I'm looking back now, I can see there were a few times when God intervened and was preparing me for what I'm doing now. Um, he put me in some leadership positions on some ministry teams I was at here. He sent me out um, with some of the um, music teams, and I had to do some public speaking, which terrified me. And if you knew me back then, you would not um, ever anticipate that I would be leading an organization. I'm such an unlikely candidate for something like that, but God had other plans. And so I want to share with you a little bit today 
about my personal story, about what God has done in my life. And then I want to share a little bit about the issue of trafficking, what we're doing, and hopefully inspire you to be able to take some action too. So my story really started um, in around 2007. I was teaching, like I said, in Indianapolis. I was teaching kindergarten first graders, um, loving my job. And when I was there, I was always drawn to those kiddos that um, came from a bad home life, needed some extra love and attention. I just had a heart for them. And so when I started hearing, learning about trafficking, um, it wasn't really a buzzword back then like it is now, but it really tugged at my heart because I could identify with the girls that were in my class, with the kids in my class. I took a trip to Nepal um, with a group from my church, and when I was there, um, I met some girls who had been rescued out of trafficking. And for me, that moment was pivotal. It um, put flesh to the issue. So I could read about it all I wanted. I could, you know, watch things on TV. But to really be able to see a girl in the flesh that had come out of some really horrific things and be able to hug her and see her as a person, it changed me. It broke me. So I came home from that trip, uh, like I said, broken. Like literally sitting in my living room, crying. What am I supposed to do? I'm just a teacher in Indiana. What could I possibly do? And um, I, had a, I had a decision to make. Would I seek the Lord and ask him what I can do, or would I put it behind me and move on with my comfortable life um, in Indianapolis? So I decided to push into it. I asked my friends that I was in community with, can you help me discern what, I'm, what am I supposed to do with this? So we prayed. We prayed. We asked God, what are we supposed to do? And I had a moment with the Lord that I've never had since. It was one of those times I'll always remember. I was actually driving um, to Lafayette, to Purdue, to visit my brother. He was there in college. And it was one of those times, you know, you're in the car, you have some time, and I was praying. What am I supposed to do? And I felt the Lord um, give me a vision, a picture, like in my mind, of a concert. And I felt like he was saying, I want you to educate your community. I want you to put on a concert and show them that this is happening. Because as I was having conversations with people in my life, um, when I came back from my trip, I realized people didn't really know about trafficking at all. And so that's what we did. I sheepishly sent an email to some of my friends, and I said, hey, I think that this is what God is telling me. And they confirmed it, and we put on uh, a concert in 2008 at my church. There were a couple hundred people there. We called it Purchased, and I really thought that I was kind of checking the box, like that was what God wanted me to do, and that was the end of it. Um, But it was actually just the beginning. It started some momentum and um, started networking with other people. People started coming to us asking what can they do to get involved. And so I figured, well, I better have an answer. So we started doing some research. We connected with people in Indiana and found out that there was an anti-trafficking community there comprised of, you know, the Attorney General's Office, um, IMPD, um, other nonprofits, churches, and just community members like us who wanted to do something. So the following year, we put on another awareness concert, and we added a documentary night for people who wanted to come. And by that time, we were pretty certain there was something to this, that this wasn't just going to go away. And so we started paying attention to it. And over the next couple years, kind of fast forward, we... um, we started our nonprofit. I had no idea what I was doing. I was a kindergarten teacher, but the Lord put the right people in my path to help me, you know, file the paperwork and figure out financially what we needed to do. And that's been the story with purchase is that he has brought the right people along at the right time. 
and has opened doors. And as we've stepped through them and we've been obedient, um, he continues to open doors for us. And so we um, started a nonprofit, like I said, in 2011. And our mission then was really... We want to just tell people that trafficking happens. It happens all over the world, and it happens here. So we would go to churches, and we would go to women's groups. We, anybody that would have us, we'd come and talk. We um, put on a few events ourselves, a 5K and different things. And then as we, we were going along, and the Super Bowl came to Indianapolis, and we, we realized, you know, the issue isn't just global. It's happening here, and no one's really talking about it. And the Super Bowl helped raise a little bit of awareness, of awareness about that. But we decided to pay closer attention. So uh, we decided we're going we're gonna to focus on our own community and empower our own community to help end modern-day slavery here. And so that's what we do now. We, um, there are a few things that we do, and I'll talk a little bit more about them later. But, you know, we want to focus on our own community, talking to teenagers, at-risk girls, um, and focusing on the problem locally. Um, you can go ahead and go to the next slide. So I know that you guys have been talking about trafficking a lot, so I won't go over all of the statistics one by one because I know that you've heard a lot. Um, but, you know, go ahead and click through some of those. Yeah, thank you. When you hear the statistics about trafficking, maybe like, maybe you're like me, I was completely overwhelmed at first. How could I possibly make a dent in the 27 million plus people that are being trafficked around the world? And it's kind of paralyzing to me uh, when you think about it. Go ahead and go to the next one, please. Um, and I just wanted to talk through some of the different types. You know, when I was in Nepal, we saw people who were in bonded labor. You know, they were, their whole family were working in brick kilns, paying off a debt that had been generations long. Um, there were brothels that girls were being trafficked in, um, young girls, underage girls, and they were right out on the street, out in plain, out in plain sight. There are women... Um, working in people's homes for no pay, being abused. Um, and here in the United States, it looks like that, um, but it's a little bit different. So we do have labor trafficking that happens in the United States. We have um, tomato workers. We have, you know, people that are being exploited. We have people that are working in the sex trade in the United States, but it doesn't look like brothels where you walk down a city street and it's wide out in the open. It's closed up in hotels. It's online. It's places that are underground. It's one guy um, who poses to be a boyfriend to several girls and then pimps them out on the side. And so um, while it might not look the same as it does overseas, it really is happening here too. It just might look a little different. Um, go ahead and go to the next one, please. So this map is really eye-opening to me. I don't know if you've seen this before, but this is a supply and demand map. And as I started talking about the global issue of trafficking, realizing so the blue countries are the demand. They're the ones that are demanding cheap products. They're demanding sex. They're providing the money for this, for this issue. The countries in red are the countries of supply, the ones making the cheap products, the ones who are the most vulnerable. And this really opened my eyes. You know, we're, you can see we're in dark blue there. We're really contributing to the demand, and that's not something we talk about very often. Normally when we hear about trafficking, we focus on the victims, which we should, but there's a demand aspect to this, and we're held accountable for that. We're held accountable for buying products that are made by people who aren't being paid fairly. We're held accountable for the way that we um, perpetuate the sex industry um, by either watching pornography or going to strip clubs or, um, you know, 
even commercials and TVs and movies um, where girls are being exploited or are um, being seen in a sexual manner, guys, that plays into the sex trade and that perpetuates the supply and demand um, issue. Go ahead and go to the next one. And so this is a, um, a slide. I don't know if you've heard of Polaris. They are an organization that runs the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And this is a map of where the calls came from, from 2007 to 2012. So even when we think about domestic trafficking, sometimes we think, oh, it's in the big cities, it's on the border states. But as you can see, Indiana's right there where that dark red is. And it's an issue right in our own backyard. Um, and so I've got to pay attention to that, right? We've got to pay attention. If it's happening here in our own communities, there's got to be something that we can do. We've got to be a part of the solution. Go ahead and go to the next one, please. So here are some statistics. I don't know how much you've heard about human trafficking in the United States. The one that really stands out to me and the one that has tugged at my heart is the average age of entry into the sex trade is 12 to 14. So a lot of times when you think about prostitution, when you think about girls who are being sold for sex, we often think of older women. But often they are starting in that industry when they're 12 years old or younger, which is really eye-opening and really sad and heartbreaking. The other thing, um, I don't know if it's up there or not, but most of the girls who have been found in the sex trade were previously abused. I think it's like 80 to 90% of the girls were, were abused as children or teenagers. So that makes me think, well, what can we do on the front end? What can we be doing with our youth to protect them from being vulnerable to this situation? What can we be doing with the, the at-risk kids, the ones whose parents have drug addictions, the ones who are in foster care and in need of someone in their life to protect them and show them the right way? Um, in Indiana, um, from 2006 to 2014, there were 134 tips for human trafficking. And so that, those are just the tips that were made that were called in, right? So we can definitely know that there are more than 134. Um, I have a, I have a, there's an agency in Indianapolis that we partner with called Restored, and she has run the human trafficking hotline um, in Indiana. And she serviced, I think, 38 victims just last year, just through her organization, Victims of Trafficking. So while the numbers aren't astronomical, um, it's still a substantial number that, of people that are uh, being exploited here in Indiana. You can go ahead and go to the next one. Is this the video? Okay, so I wanted to give you a picture of what trafficking might look like for a girl um, here in the States. So we, we probably have a good picture of what it looks like, a girl standing in a brothel being bought overseas. But it looks a little bit different here in the United States. And th I think this kind of shows, um, kind of gets inside the mind of someone who is being exploited. We'll go ahead and watch. You know, you're 12 years old and you're living with your moms and your moms are struggling because she didn't think that life was really going to work out like this for her and she doesn't have a man around and the men that are around haven't always been that great. Sexual abuse is becoming kind of normal for you and you think that other people don't have secrets that are as bad as you and maybe you've tried to talk to somebody at school and they haven't really heard you or maybe they just haven't had time to listen to you. 
and so you're seeing these girls on on the videos and they're so pretty and they're so sexy and and so your way at 12 of escaping into this fantasy world is to think about what it must be like to be one of these girls and you know that adult men already look at you and you wonder how you can kind of use that So one day you're coming out of school and there's a guy outside in a Cadillac and he's he's nice looking. I mean, he's he's got the baseball cap and the jeans and the Tim's and he tells you how pretty you are and you know how pretty your hair looks and it's been a while since anybody even really noticed anything about you. And for the first time you feel like somebody's really interested in you because now all of a sudden he's asking you about your dreams and your hopes and where your father's at and he says that he can be a daddy to you. shouldn't have depend on I'm depending on for support for support And so that night he takes you to a club and he puts you up on the stage and he gives you a few drinks and there's men throwing dollars at you and it's scary but all the time you're just looking at his face in the back of the room and he's like you know go ahead baby girl go ahead you're doing it for daddy and you're feeling proud because nobody's ever said that to you And so then that night he tells you that there's more stuff that you've got to do and he takes you into a room and there's a man there and he tells you to strip and you think this is something you'll never do and yet there's a part of you that already knew how to do this because that's what your stepfather's been doing to you all these years before and so you turn that trick and it's like a part of you had died inside and so you come out of the club that night and you get in the car and you know he's pumping 50 cent and he takes you to McDonald's and he tells you you did a good job tonight sweetie and he's stuffing his pockets with the thousand dollars that he made and right now you're happy the people that i shouldn't have depend on i was depending on for support for support
and you don't know what it's like to feel like you've lost part of yourself along the way and to feel like you'll never leave and no matter how many times you try to leave he'll always find you and catch you but that night all you care about is the fact you're riding in the Cadillac and you're eating McDonald's and you're listening to 50 and you got this one man who you really think loves you sitting right by your side I don't know what your family was like or how you grew up. Mine, I grew up in a family where I knew I was loved. I knew I was valuable. I knew of God's love for me. I knew I was special. And so when I hear stories like hers, my heart aches that there are girls out there that have never known that. They've never been told that they're valuable, that God sees them and loves them and treasures them. It breaks my heart to think that there are people out there who are specifically targeting girls like that because they're seeking love. They're seeking um, someone that will want to take care of them, someone to see them. And so that is part of the reason for my motivation to do this because I want her to know that she is beautiful. She's created in the image of God, that there is hope and that there is restoration for her, that she has beauty and talent. And so that video in particular is powerful for me because when we can see it as the one girl, when we can see the issue as one face, one story, then it becomes a little bit easier to think about a solution. You know, I could seek a girl like that out in a local high school, and I could befriend her. I could take her out to movies. I could help her graduate from high school. I could tell her about Jesus. I can tell her that she's lovely and that she's important and that I see her and she's valuable. And so all of a sudden, this big issue of trafficking breaks down into a little bit easier parts to swallow when we see that there are things that we can do ourselves, that one person really can make a difference if we target that one, that one person. And so um, you can go to the next slide. I wanted to talk a little bit about then what Purchase does, what my response to this was. Your response may be totally different, um, but mine was, I want to then reach out to these girls and I want to tell them that they have value and worth and that we see them. And so um, our mission, like I said, is to empower the community to end modern day slavery. And so I want to challenge our community to do the same. Um, so we do, we go out to places, we still, you know, talk about the issue of trafficking and encourage people to be a part of the solution the way they can. Um, but the part I'm most excited about is we have two curricula that we were trained in. One focuses on the demand and one focuses on um, the, the victims. And so the first one is called Empowering Youth. And this one is interesting. It came out of Chicago. They interviewed 100 Johns, so people who purchase sex in Chicago, and, and just interviewed them, asking them questions like, why did you purchase sex? What motivated you? How did you feel afterwards? Was it worth it? And they developed a curriculum for young men, uh, ages like 8th grade to high school and beyond, 
so that they can start thinking about choices that they're going to make as they grow older so they might not fall into the same lies and the same um, actions as these other men. So they talk about things like um, culture, media, TV, music videos, um, the images that we see of women and how, to, how does that affect the way that we treat women then. Um, when we talk about going to strip clubs and partying and watching movies, um, it's not innocent. It's affecting us and our hearts, and it's affecting the people on the other side as well. So we have those conversations with young men and young women um, so that they can start becoming part of the solution instead of part of the problem, making choices that lift people up and empower them. The other curriculum um, is my personal favorite. It's called My Life, My Choice. Uh, it comes out of Boston. It was created by a woman who is a survivor of trafficking. And it targets young women ages 14 to 18 who have been trafficked or sexually exploited in some way. It's a 10-week program. It's really intense. Um, we have 10 girls in our class. And we talk about things like, what does pimp recruitment look like? How do we identify it? Um, and we have girls in the first two weeks of this class that the light bulb turns on and they're like, oh my goodness, I think my boyfriend was a pimp. That's what was happening. And there's all of a sudden a name for it. You know, all of these things that they've experienced and have just kind of gone along with, they didn't know any better. All of a sudden there's power in knowing that it's not right. We talk with them about how drug addiction plays into the sex industry. We talk about um, the laws that are out there to protect them, who's out there to help, what resources are out there. We talk about self-esteem. Uh, in fact, the class that I'm teaching right now, last week was our week on self-esteem, and they make these collages, and they pick out words that describe them. Weeks one through five was this heavy material. All of a sudden, week six, you see all these smiles, and you see some beauty start to come out, and you see, you know, just someone, because someone is taking the time to ask them, what are your strengths? Who are you? Um, it's something that doesn't happen very often for them. And so we have this 10-week program. We go into juvenile detention facilities. Um, we go into at-risk neighborhoods. Um, we talk to these girls. And um, what we found was after the 10 weeks, it was really difficult to leave them. And so what we're doing in 2015 is we're starting a mentorship program for girls who have been trafficked in Indiana. And we're going to pilot it hopefully at the end of 2015. And so we're going to pair them up with mentors who are trained in how to work with people who have been, have experienced trauma. We're going to train the mentors. It's, it's, a, it's not like going to big brothers and big sisters and finding a buddy there. And they are, can often be difficult to work with. Um, sometimes they, uh, they often have trust issues. They have boundary issues. They've experienced trauma. They've never known what love really looks like. And so it's a difficult thing to do, but we're excited because what they need is someone constant in their life who sees them and who will not leave them and who will walk with them. So in 2015, we're going to be launching that program, and I'm so excited because that's really what motivated me in the beginning was— I want to tell them that I see them, that I know them, but I didn't know how to get my hands on them. I wasn't going to go over to Nepal and, you know, work with IJM and, you know, things like that. But I found that I really can make an impact in my community. So I wanted to leave you with just a few things that you can do. Like I said, we often think it's such, such a big problem. But one thing that you can do, and it sounds trite, but you can pray. Um, I know when I am told that, 
um, I often think, yeah, well, I already know. I can pray. But it really makes a difference. Um, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with that story in Exodus when Moses was looking over the battle and when his hands were down, they were losing, but when they were up, they were winning. And so his friends came and held his arms up. And guys, that's what we need the church to be. We're not all going to be called to be on the front lines or be a mentor or be a counselor or a police officer, but we, the church, can pray. We can pray for the perpetrators that their hearts would change. We can pray for the victims, the survivors, that they would know healing, that they would know God's love. We can pray that the industry would be no longer acceptable and tolerated by our society. We really need God's people to pray. I don't want you to take that lightly. The other thing that we can do is you can find an at-risk youth to mentor. You know, what makes someone vulnerable to traffic, trafficking? Kids who don't have um, parents that are looking after them, kids who are into drug addiction, um, kids who are runaways, um, poverty situations where they don't always have a good next step to get them out of their poverty situation. Seek out one youth and invest in them so that they don't become vulnerable to being trafficked. And educate yourself. That's the other thing I would leave you with is educate. Um, I was talking to someone earlier and um, earlier today, and I was saying how, you know, domestic violence 20 years ago was kind of a hush-hush topic. People didn't know a lot about it. But now that we know about it, our society doesn't tolerate it. And that's what trafficking, we hope, will be in the next 20 years, is something that us as a society will not tolerate. Know what to look for in our community. Know, you know, what to look for in businesses when you go in and something just doesn't seem right. If they're employees, as you start talking to them, they don't know where they are, or it looks like maybe they eat, sleep, and live in that same place, or they might not see, you know, uh, speak the language. If you, um, if you see girls in high schools that are kind of on the fringe, and, or maybe other women that are kind of on the fringe, don't have a lot of people looking after them, um, if things seem suspicious, you know, know what to look for, know who to call. Um, know what you can do to be a part of the solution. And I don't want to um, make it sound like sex trafficking is, is the only issue because labor trafficking as well. Guys, we are, um, we are rich, we are wealthy, and we are purchasing products every single day. And there are people all over the world that are being exploited to, to make our cheap products that we demand. And so do some research. Find out where are some fair trade products you can buy, um, what are some places you can support that have products that are made by survivors of trafficking? Do your part. Even if it's a small step, I would encourage you to do your part. Um, because like I said, I was a very unlikely candidate to be a champion for this cause when I was sitting in your seat. I never would have imagined that I would be doing something like this. But discerning, being open and listening to maybe God's call, don't ignore the tug that he puts on your heart, whether it be for trafficking or another issue. Um, I, I want to encourage you to pay attention and to say yes uh, and not be afraid. Um, I was petrified of public speaking when I was in college. Never would I have imagined that I would do this. But God has done some work simultaneously as he's built Purchased. He's done some work in my heart to grow me into the person that he wanted me to be to do this work. And so um, take those scary next steps and pay attention and listen to him. Is what I would leave you with. So thank you for having me here today. And if you want more information, um, visit our website. Thank you.
Hey guys, I'm Raquel, and I'm a part of the Iowa women's track team here on campus. And so are they, apparently. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you about an opportunity we have on campus tomorrow. Um, if you remember, on February 4th in chapel, we were challenged to stand up against human trafficking and help out any way we can. Uh, the track and field team desires to continue that stand through our season. Uh, we are hosting an indoor check and field meet tomorrow at Troyer at noon. If you don't know where that is, it's on the south side of campus. It's behind, like, the Bowman Boat Race pond and, like, tennis courts. If you drive by there and you think, wow, I must be lost because nothing out here. No, keep going. Eventually, you're going to find it. Um, Destiny Rescue is coming, and we are very excited to partner with them. Uh, they will have a team here from Fort Wayne. They're going to have a table set up in the Troyer lobby, and they'll have merchandise, brochures, and things like that if you want more information. Uh, so in our walk with Christ, once we have experienced the freedom that only he can give, we have the ability to live victoriously, inspiring and encouraging those around us. So likewise in track and field, the preparation and competition can be very challenging and even arduous at times, but we can draw strength from those who encourage us. It is our desire to stand alongside Destiny Rescue and Dulos as they encourage these children from their personal journey to freedom on human trafficking and beyond that to the freedom that Christ offers. So tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and what better way to show love than to show love to these kids. God bless you guys. You are dismissed. Thank you.